Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast, brought to you by Scoop News Group, innovating resident services in New Jersey. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Cox Enterprises will buy software firm OpenGov for $1.8 billion. The acquisition marks one of the largest acquisitions in the history of the government technology market. OpenGov's enterprise resource planning software is used by about 1,900 state agencies and cities across the country. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves is calling for the creation of a task force to improve technology across the state's government. Reeves asked the legislature to consider the creation of the task force during his State of the State address. If created, it'd be comprised of several agencies, including the state IT agency and other relevant technology leaders. A legislative committee in Orange County, New York, concluded an investigation into recent accusations that government contracts had been unfairly awarded to an IT services company on the basis of the owner's familial ties to a county official. The committee found, quote, no evidence of fraud, corruption, or criminality, according to the report. However, the committee did find that the contract was improperly procured because of how paperwork was handled during the contract selection process. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. New Jersey's chief innovation officer is keeping resident services at the forefront of his mind as he gets started in a role designed to shake things up in government. Dave Cole was appointed to be the state's chief innovation officer in January. In the role, he leads the state's office of innovation and is responsible to, quote, drive innovation in the Garden State. Cole tells State Scoop's Carolyn Nihill about his background and what he's up to in New Jersey. Thank you for the interest in, uh, in our office and what we're doing here in New Jersey. Uh, the most important thing, I think, for our team is to stay focused on what residents are looking to accomplish with government, the challenges that they might be facing and how government delivers services, and help our partners in the agencies across the state to uh, hear that resident perspective and see how we can help solve some of the challenges that they're facing um, using human-centered design, using agile development methodologies, uh, bringing the technical expertise that we're able to get on our team into the state. Um, but again, just keep it rooted in what the real challenges are. Um, I know many of us are driven by the impact that you can have working in government, the ability to help people stay housed, to find more affordable um, ways of living within the state, to uh, expand kind of the educational opportunities that we provide for students and, and through higher education, um, as well as the economic opportunities in the state. So, you know, I think folks are drawn to that. And um there is a, a very unique opportunity with what um, the governor has enabled us to do here in New Jersey to um, be able to bring those practices um, into the agencies and work very closely uh, to help deliver for residents. Sure, a- absolutely. And you touched a lot on resident services, and I know that your most recent position was the head of resident experience for New Jersey. And I wanted to ask, you know, how are you looking to continue streamlining digital services for New Jerseyans as the Chief Innovation Officer? Uh, we're looking in a couple different ways. The first is to see which programs are really critical, uh, delivering life-saving benefits uh, or sustaining support for residents, and where we might be able to bring uh, the, the human-centered perspective. So um, as I'm sure you know from you know, the work that you do as well, uh, the state, like many other states in the federal government, often has to deliver programs through a lot of different rules that um, might be state, might be uh, federal, that kind of cascade. And so when we think about how we deliver services, if we put that burden on residents to try to figure out all the overlapping eligibility requirements or the different constraints that they need to access their benefits, 
we're uh, we're kind of outsourcing that that problem to them. There's a much better opportunity that we try to bring, which is to think about the problem that the resident has, the challenge they're trying to solve, and focus on what we can do incrementally to to, to make those improvements. So, um, to give you a quick example, you know, we've worked very closely with our Department of Labor in unemployment insurance. Um, the unemployment insurance and systems are decades old. It would take uh, a very long time and a very sustained, uh, intense effort to think about replacing and fixing all of that. But within a couple of weeks of talking to folks and uh, sharing the questions in the, res- in the uh, application form with them and seeing how they respond to the questions, looking for areas that are generating the most errors in submissions, we can rewrite the questions. We can redesign the form to be more usable, to put that out and test it and see that uh, in that case, on average, after we made a round of changes, we were able to see 48%, uh, sorry, 48 minutes saved on average for people filling out the UI application. Um, so that's considerable. And you think about all the people that are applying across the state, everyone on average is saving about that amount of time. It can have a massive impact, um, not only in the individual residents, but across our state and just delivering the services more effectively. Sure. Absolutely. That's that's so incredibly interesting. And, you know, you talked a lot about, you know, having those digital services streamlined, making it easier, cutting down on time. Um, do you view that as a challenge um, in this new role or, you know, are there other challenges that you're anticipating? It is a challenge and it's for residents. We also work very closely with the business community in New Jersey. Um, as the governor mentioned today during his budget address, 60,000 new businesses, small businesses have started in New Jersey since uh, his taking office in 2018 uh, or a certain initiative that we worked on around 2018. Um, and so we try to look at both um, as key user groups. What do business owners and those uh, kind of growing and administering businesses need to see as well as the residents? Um, and the challenges can be similar in that, again, you have a lot of, uh, in the business context, a lot of different agencies that are working on the same kind of part of the process. And we might have business owners go from website to website or on one case a website to filling out a form, submitting it even at a different level of government. So we're trying to bring that same perspective where we look at um, what are the end users, the residents in the state, the business owners, administrators trying to accomplish. Can we bring the services to them, design one common interface for them to access the services that they need? And then on the back end, see if we can federate the information, share the data, um, but not make that again the problem of the end user to try to solve. So I think that's an ongoing challenge, but you know, as of course I imagine you would know as well with, with your work here that within government challenges really uh, equal opportunities for trying to make sustainable change. And so where we see something that might be, um, you know, why is it done this way? It hasn't made sense for, for a long time. If we can figure out how to make that change, even on a system that hasn't been changed or, you know, a program that hasn't been changed in a while, we are unlocking sustained improvements for people going forward. It's not just a one-time launch or one-time time improvement. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, I, I did. I was aware that the uh, budget was today. I did want to ask about since uh, you know I had previously re- written about your appointment, um, and I know that you know you previously spent time in the private sector. Do you think that that gives you kind of a unique position for private sector issues such as like fair fair competition for technology innovation uh, and other things concerning tech and digital services and businesses in New Jersey? Lots of folks on our team come from uh, private sector backgrounds. Uh, Some have government experience. I think it's actually a core part of what we try to do, which is figure out how do we take the practices that work well 
in a startup environment and a larger technology company environment and apply them to the government context. Um, I would be the first to say, even coming from time in the private sector, that we don't want to just kind of copy and paste what we do there. There are nuances to how we have to uh, deliver services in this context. And um, obviously the, the impact and, and the, the, the scale is, is different, but a mindset for being very focused on, as we might say in the private sector, the customer here, the, the end user, the resident, uh, I do think is transferable. Um, I think you know, we find often in agencies, there are people who have that mindset innately and they are looking for support to figure out, you know, how do I, within a government agency, organize a panel of users to talk to them about what their real experience is. It's not something that always is, is kind of practiced in the government context, but there often are very, people who are very motivated to do it. Um, so we'll try to take the best practices, find partners within agencies who are excited about um, those, those tactics and how we can apply them into to government, but also just be careful to make sure that we're considering equity in everything we do. We're considering who has been historically underserved, whose voice not, might not be in the room when we're having those panel discussions um, so that we can represent you know, the, the public interest um, even while we're trying to be a little bit more efficient and think about kind of the, the background that the private sector might inform. And I know, I know that we've talked about two specific key points in your past experience, um, but I also wanted to ask, you know, what do you feel like uh, in your past work experience? I know you've worked for federal, state, private sector. Um, you know, what do you feel, what, what part of your work experience do you feel that you bring to the table as chief innovation officer that you feel best serves you for this role? In many ways, I think my job is to enable and support our team. So, you know, for me, there are certain life experiences interactions with government services, either as an end consumer or seeing family, friends go through that. I think we all have our stories on, you know, what can be a frustrating experience when you're trying to access a program that you need, that you might depend on, and things don't work the way you would expect. Uh, I try to stay very grounded in, in those experiences, not just to say that my own experience is, you know, the end all be all or really what we want to focus on, um, but to just stay human in, in how I'm thinking about the work. Um, because very often there are real challenges on the other side to delivering those programs that we also have to understand and empathize with. But if we lose sight of the fact that there are real people at the end of the services and programs that government is delivering, um, then I think we risk losing our kind of core value for what we're trying to do here. So that's top of mind. Um, I hope experience in the federal government is useful in the sense that the state operates a lot of the programs that the federal government might authorize or even fund. Um, I have found it very rewarding to be closer to the end people through the state position as opposed to the, the time in the federal government. But I think having that experience can help with understanding what the trade-offs are and the different um, considerations at, at that level as well. So um, I, you know, I, I don't think I ever expected to be in a position like this. It is something that um, I'm trying to bring all the experiences with me and, and try, try to use them for what I can to, to hopefully advance the purpose of our team here. Um, but yeah, it has no, by no means felt like a very linear path. Um, and again, I'm just very excited and appreciative that we have a team and the resources and the opportunity to, to do this work at the state level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I know that, you know, you mentioned your time in the, in the federal space. Um, and I, I wanted to ask, you know, I know that you were um, a, an advisor for the White House. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, do you feel like you're bringing any lessons learned from that time 
to this position or to the work that you've done recently? Time at the White House was at the very beginning of the Obama administration. So the most immediate thing we needed to do at that point was very simply launch whitehouse.gov. We were able during the transition in the first couple months of, of working in the White House to get a new website up. The keys, though, that we were trying to unlock with this were to design the content and to present the content in a way that was more accessible, both um, in terms of folks with different disabilities, uh, as well as um, just making sure that what we were writing and putting out there was very easy to understand and, and was useful to the general public. So I think, again, you know, we've talked a bit about that user-centered approach. For me, it started in that environment about even when we're just working on the content of the, of the president's administration and his objectives at that time, that we're framing things in a way that uh, are useful to people. Um, that kind of way of thinking about plain language is, is very important in all of our work too, not just in communications materials, but even in the application for benefits. Uh, something folks on our team have done uh, is go through and rewrite, uh, at this point, I think something like 70 different email templates uh, with the, the UI program with this kind of mindset um, based off of their own experiences and, and kind of what they bring to the table here. But we found that those rewrites of plain language and simpler design can improve comprehension, can improve trust, which are key metrics. Um, so for me, that was a, an opportunity to, to learn and to practice some of those skills. We also were very focused on developing in, in an open way and uh, considering how the government can put out open data sets that enable innovation. Uh, this is something that is very relevant in, in um, a part of our work at the state too. So we contribute to open source technology. We try to release and maintain things on GitHub that might be useful to other states or to folks in the private sector. Um, again, because we see this work as just in the public interest as opposed to something commercial. And we have benefited from the reciprocity in that too, where um, we have had folks contribute to the projects that we're working on through an open source platform, um, which, which can deliver a better result as well. I think as we look at... Um, some of the work that we're exploring now in AI as well. That background in open data is really important. Uh, the government has a lot of data that can advance the uses of artificial intelligence. Uh, and to do so, we need to be very mindful of um, the implications of not only the data that goes into the AI models, but how the AI models will interpret that data. If there could be, uh, depending on the data that we're considering cases for implicit bias, that we need to be um, mindful and controlling for that. Um, so a lot of the kind of what are more trendy and emerging technologies, I think, come back to having core principles in place around uh, a process to um, make data available, make sure that it's sanitized and that it's appropriate for, for public consumption, but that it's also useful for folks to build on top of, as opposed to what you might see in some cases, just posting some spreadsheets on a website or worse, PDFs of spreadsheets and tables You know that don't really... Um, enable the kind of innovation that can take place when, when you go through the effort to release higher quality data. So th those are a couple of things that I think were relevant early on in the federal government. Um, the last piece I'll say to that is um, I came back to the government in 2015 for a year working with uh, 18F, which is a relatively new team. Um, and it was a wonderful experience to be a part of the setup of that. You know, we've thought a lot about how 18F has grown up in the federal government, as well as the United States Digital Service. Um, as we have scaled our team in, in New Jersey, and we have learned from and borrowed from both of those teams of the federal government, many other states, they're great states and uh, municipalities as well. Uh, we have friends in Philadelphia right across the river from where I'm sitting now who um, we've talked to a lot about user experience and design uh, and being very rooted in the community. 
So it, there's, a, I think, actually a, a good kind of community of folks doing this work um, that, that has just been really humbling to be a part of and to, to learn from as well. Sure. And, and I know that recently New Jersey has announced um, the first, their first chief AI strategist. Um, and, and I was wondering, you know, uh, I know that you were appointed soon after Beth Novak was appointed. Um, and I wanted to know, you know, in this position, are you thinking about artificial intelligence and working with uh, Beth in order to kind of implement and play around with AI? I know that New Jersey has announced some governance and guidelines for internal use for state agencies, but I really wanted to know what you're thinking about in terms of artificial intelligence. Yes, and as you know, Beth was the original chief innovation officer at the state of New Jersey, so I have had the wonderful experience of working very closely with Beth for a number of years. Um, we are all very excited at the Office of Innovation for her to take on this new role. It's something that she had been working on even in her previous role. Our team will continue to stay involved in the governor's efforts around AI. Um, we are participating in, in the task force. The task force is focused on delivering to the governor recommendations on the responsible and effective use of AI in the state uh, at, at large, both in the public and private sectors. Uh, there are a number of additional initiatives where we work closely with Beth and also the state chief technology officer, Chris Ryan, on um, how we can use artificial intelligence for the government modernization um, and, and user experience work that we do. So a large part of our uh, focus on resident experiences, uh, how do we understand what, what new technology can do that might enable us to um, achieve goals that weren't possible before? So when I was uh, discussing briefly some of the work that Janice Cho and folks on the team have done around rewriting emails, uh, a large part of that is based off of their experience and their understanding of design principles and the user research that goes into informing what they do. But uh, the team was able to scale that work by using tools like ChatGPT uh, through taking content that was kind of more policy focused that might be in a letter that was going to go out to residents and running it through um, a prompt, including something like explain this to me so that I can understand it or help me understand what the following message says or what should I do after receiving the following message and then get a better draft of something that's been rewritten using the kind of models outputs. Now, we never just take that and send that out to residents. There's always additional checks and guardrails on top of that, but it can speed up the process. And so we can take then that draft, edit it, put again, kind of our lens through, uh, look at it through our lens of, of how we would um, try to have a simpler way of framing the content and then bring that to the policy folks and the legal folks to have them review and sign off and say, yes, that's still meets the standards we need. But at the end, you end up with a better product where we had been doing that kind of work for a very long time, um, probably most at scale with our work on covid19.nj.gov, the central portal for information during the pandemic. But it was very manual um, and required the folks with the expertise to have the time and the ability to kind of go through and, and do those edits. And so that's just one small example, but that has had a high impact of allowing us to scale something we were already doing with the use of the new technology. Um, so we'll stay very focused on how we can leverage artificial intelligence to deliver on an improved resident experience, improved business experience, to help raise awareness for the programs that we uh, at the state offer for, for folks in, in New Jersey. Um, and we'll contribute where we can to the task force as well. It's, it's very much um, you know, a, a collective effort there. Uh, but again, Beth has been in many ways the thought leader on um, how we can leverage the advance in artificial intelligence to uh, enable the delivery of government services that hasn't been available 
uh, and then working with folks on the economic side for how we can use this moment to, to grow the economy as well. Absolutely. And I know that you mentioned um, the COVID-19 vaccination program in New Jersey, and I know that you helped co-lead that when you were an innovation fellow for the state. Um, I want to know a little bit more about lessons learned from that. I also wanted to ask, um, you know, additionally, this is kind of a two questions in one, but, um, you know, you also co-founded the resident digital experience that expanded on those efforts. Are you looking in this current role to expand again for that to include things like artificial intelligence in terms of automation or the use of uh, internal generative AI? What does that look like? I started with this team as somebody, somewhat on the sidelines, watching the pandemic roll through the business that I was helping to run. Uh, a lot of the folks that I were was working with at that time were actually internationally based. And so we would see you know, our, our team in China, our team in Japan, um, start to have to shut down and move uh, to, to, to home-based work sooner. So we had some sense that this was coming, but um, once the pandemic really started to hit, you know, I'm, as many people were, uh, seeing this go down and watching here in my home state, New Jersey, how hard hit the area was uh, before we knew much about what was even taking place. So I jumped in to help um, just as somebody with a technology background thinking, if there's anything I can do, um, I'm here for it. And uh, I felt very fortunate uh, by the opportunity to participate in helping get folks vaccinated. It was no small task by any measure. Nothing like this, as far as I know, had ever been attempted nationally. Uh, certainly not on this timeline. Um, so that was very much the kind of firefighting or crisis kind of uh, mentality that we might bring to some of the work that we do, where there's a problem that needs to be solved. We need to be as efficient as possible and really try to deliver um, where we can. So not something I was involved in, but before I um, joined with the team, they launched the COVID-19.nj.gov portal. Uh, and my understanding is this took place in literally a matter of days. The site of that complexity and size and coordination across multiple agencies might usually have taken months uh, to, to get offline and, and online. And it was just a matter of days to get something stood up, you know, with, with, with strong partners in the private sector as well. Um, so I was kind of coming in to build the vaccination distribution program along with Department of Health, uh, the technology for it, standing on the efforts that many folks had already put in place. Um, but there's nothing like the impact, right? At the end of the day, pushing out notifications to get folks who are eligible their vaccine appointments as soon as possible, trying to simplify how they can find an appointment so that they don't have to call through dozens or even in some cases, a hundred different phone numbers and websites to try to figure out who actually has an appointment available at times when vaccines were very in demand. Um, you know, we, we put all that on a state website. We did a lot of web scraping and other kind of techniques on the back end so that there was a simple search index that would show you where appointments were available. Um, you know, I don't know that there'll ever be anything like that kind of work where both the intensity and the effort and the hours that it took to get to it, but then the impact that you can have on the other end and, you know, hopefully help people have better healthy outcomes from it. Um, you know, it was just a, a foundational moment for me coming back. Um, and, and you're right to connect the dots to what we have tried to put together for resident experience, which is that we knew going through the COVID information portal, um, people were finding critical information very quickly uh, and that they were using search to find information in ways that might not be traditionally used if we just think about building out the content with kind of more rigid traditional navigation structures. Our team was looking at the search analytics really 
hourly to determine if new trends were emerging and if there was a something that was being searched for that we didn't quite have an article or maybe it wasn't an updated article that we would go get content and push it out as quickly as possible so we were looking for what our users were trying to understand and then being responsive to get content out very quickly it was a good kind of feedback cycle there so that kind of mentality of being responsive being data driven having a platform that we can iterate on um, in an agile fashion i think are those are a lot of the principles that we've tried to bring forth in the resident experience initiative um, as you know the, the federal government has a similar consumer experience initiative so we've, we've pulled some ideas from that um, but our work at the resident experience initiative is really around again looking for how can we create common interfaces that simplify the way folks access benefits as well as go into those problems and those programs that are really hard where there might not have been the resources or you know the right folks with the right background or just you know you need extra hands around the table to help out to try to come up with iterative improvements that get us closer to modernizing those those particularly challenging programs absolutely that sounds like a ton of work um and you know i, I know you talked a lot about impact um and, and we've been talking a lot about digital services and technology for new jerseyans uh to you know ease um and streamline a lot of processes um, so I also know that we don't have a lot of time left. Um, so I just kind of wanted to wrap up by asking, you know, is there anything that you can share about us, about, um, uh, with us about any upcoming projects, um, or initiatives that you're excited about? Um, yeah, all of these projects that, that we've discussed other than, um, you know, the, the COVID information hub, these are very ongoing and growing projects. So, um, to cut touch on a couple of things, you know, we're hiring, uh, we are actively looking for folks who are interested in joining our effort. Um, that can be people, you know, some people come from the private sector or other places and they want to spend a year or two doing this work to have a tour of duty in public service. We can support that. Others are looking for something a little bit more longer term. Um, so the biggest constraint right now, I think, is finding the folks to contribute to, to the efforts. We're excited to work, um, continue our work on um, supporting the affordability programs in the state. Uh, the governor's put in place a, a tax relief program for uh, homeowners, for tenants, for folks of low and middle income and for seniors. That um, is the largest in state history. And um, we have had the opportunity to help kind of modernize some of the call center technology that goes into that. So when folks call up, they can get answers more quickly or even self-serve their answers just using menu prompts. Um, we are excited to continue that kind of work around the call center platform and bring that to other state call centers. Uh, if we had had this conversation when we first started working on the resident experience initiative, I honestly would not have ever thought to say that call centers would be a core part of our focus. I think we were very um, yeah, paying a lot more attention to the digital kind of website space, but just being rooted in kind of what residents are telling us and where the biggest pain points are. Uh, we have a substantial part of the team now focused on call center modernization and, and improvement. Um, so that's a platform now, right? That's something that we have six agencies that are, or six call centers across multiple agencies that are using, and we can continue to expand that. Um, so I'm excited to kind of grow the existing work where we pair up with agencies and help them deliver more efficient services, as well as invest in these platforms like call center modernization um, so that we can try to solve problems even faster by having common tools that, that can be used. Uh, and of course, as we touched on, uh, there will be a, sustained focus on the use of generative artificial intelligence um, for how we deliver on the government services, um, as well as how we can help enable the public service, the public uh, workforce 
to be able to perform their duties um, more efficiently and hopefully with with less um, kind of pain that goes into some of the the, the, the routine tasks. Um, we're very focused on making sure that AI enables a productive workforce. Um, we're not interested in things like you know automation replacing jobs. That's um, I think part of the public conversation, something we have to be very focused on, but it's not at all where we see the technology at, nor our, our use or our focus of it right now. But, you know, there are programs where people do the same thing over and over again, and they might be able to have more um, efficiency in how they're operating if they learn how to leverage these tools. And so a large part of the effort around artificial intelligence in the public sector is um, providing the training and the support for that kind of use uh, as well. So um, those are all the things that are currently kind of top of mind. Of course, we have a program that focuses on communications and engagement for awareness of federal pro- or of state programs as well. Uh, often we'll see where there might be programs that um, are funded and you know need a little extra effort to make sure the right folks are finding out about them in a timely fashion and can get through the application process. So that's another area uh, that we're, we're investing in heavily as well. Um, and I think we try to stay very flexible too and not be oversubscribed in what we're doing so that um, let's hope we never see anything like COVID again, but to the extent that there are, are other cases that come up or emerge um, that require very responsive government. You know, that's an area where, where we really want to be um, available and a part of the solution too, um, so the government can, can meet the needs of where citizens are at today and what we can't even anticipate might come up soon. Absolutely. That, that sounds like you guys have a lot cooking. So um, I, I won't hold you for any longer, um, but I wanted to say thank you so much again for making the time to speak with me. I know that today has been busy with the budget address. Um, and, you know, just before we wrap up, is, is there anything that I didn't touch on that you would like to talk about in terms of technology, your new position, anything? I appreciate the questions. Uh, I, I think that's that's about where I'm at at this point. I'm excited to, uh, to again, dig in with the team to welcome some new folks, hopefully in the coming months, to expand our efforts here. Um, and I guess I would say I do think that in addition to delivering, you know, the improvements in the service delivery, we're also trying to be very mindful about doing so in a sustainable way. And so a lot of times the work that we do might replace a legacy system and there often is, uh, it can be cost savings from that. And so we're, you know, very mindful about thinking about the sustainability of our office and of our program so that those cost savings can be reinvested in additional improvements, particularly um, when there might not be financing available or funding available to, um, think about new ways to deliver services by being smarter about how we're delivering the services we have. I think we can actually have the, the resources to expand upon that work as well. So um, it's about the impact as well as the efficiency um, and equity, I think is the third part of that stool as well. Again, as we talked about in the beginning, just to make sure that uh, we are really being mindful of using the um, opportunity that we have to level the playing field and to advance the programs that the state offers for, for all populations, including those who have been underserved. Um, But again, thank you, Caroline, for the time. Dave Cole, Chief Innovation Officer for the state of New Jersey. You can read more about him at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. That small extra step helps more people like you find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put it together. The entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.